Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan Fires of Invention, Yorian Sachs. This is a beautiful marriage of some of our favorite cards here. The new Pioneer decks just keep flowing, my friend. They keep flowing. Look, we've got, we've got to try out all the all the hotness, you know? Yeah, so there's... I mean, this is a sort of a stock deck, is is Enigmatic Incarnation and Fires of Invention. So Enigmatic Incarnation is two green-blue enchantment, and at the beginning of your end step, you can sacrifice an enchantment, basically pod an enchantment into a creature. So you sack a four-mana enchantment, get a five-mana creature, whatever. That's like a pretty... You know, sometimes there are like Karuga Fires decks, Yorian Fires whatever so i'm messing around with that we'll see i don't know but i but i did when i saw when i was like oh i'll try this deck out i was like oh that'd be pretty cool to play that as a sort of homage to ben's love for fires of invention and my love for yorian but we'll see and i i do appreciate it. i thought you were gonna start by flaming me on the podcast for making us record on a saturday because <laughs> because i want to play in a pioneer tournament on sunday i mean i was not thrilled about it prior to recording but i mean we gotta do what we gotta do you know the show You're, must go on and you gotta play some magic listen if you didn't play in this tournament on sunday and you like oh four dropped from the pt after scrubbing out of your draft i would feel terrible go. i mean we have to assume you we have to assume your pioneer record is going to carry you at this point right you're basically I, a constructed magic player <laughs> well, except for a while i was feeling you know because i wasn't lo- in love with lost caverns of ixalan as i think we'll talk about a little later today i didn't much care for cons and like a, a part of me has been bitten by the the stakes bug that like you know when i'm not playing the arena open or the like championship qualifiers i'm like well, you know, i kind of want to prep for the pro tour right but now as we were talking about just before we started recording I've been bitten by the vintage cube bug pretty hard so hard it's so good and Kaladesh remastered is on arena right now which is also really fun I recorded a video for our YouTube channel this week I love that format and I'm also playing some explorer stuff because that's the arena championship five format and that's like this month's qualifier weekend format so i'm trying to like figure that out which is it's basically pioneer missing a few cards but like there's a lot of magic right now that i want to play and my stupid son keeps getting in the way (laughs) wow how dare he i love you jonah never mind well so you're you're all vintage cube all the time right now yeah all vintage cube all the time, but my brothers, so all my brothers are doctors, right? So they're, mm. they're, two of them are hospitalists and, and one's a cardiologist and their schedules are like week on, week off, week on, week off. So when I'm at school, school's back in session now, hashtag rest in peace, winter break. Mm. I can get on Discord and see that my brothers are in a group chat playing magic all day <laughs> while I'm at school. Like every time I pop open Discord, like during passing period or something, it's brutal. That so is they've been brutal. jamming some Kaladesh remastered. Do they make sure their weeks are like synced up or did it just so happen? It just so happens. Like usually two of the three of them at least are are synced up. But wow, the redevelopment is them like plopping themselves in Discord and just playing magic to taunt me. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure it's just to taunt you and it's not because it's super, super fun. I played in a 64-person Vintage Cube last night. Ooh, the stakes. The stakes. stakes and the Vintage Cube bug. <laughs> well, and it's classic, like, Ethan. Like, when I I haven't really played poker much anymore because, like, I can't That's stay That's what I was going to say. Late. You're also double-queuing poker for sure, right? No, I'm not. But, like, the same, I used to, like, you know, join a tournament at 8 o'clock or whatever and be like, oh, I hope I bust out before 10 o'clock because I got to go to bed. And that's how I felt. I 306-0'd my first draft. <laughs> Punished like, for doing oh, well. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I drafted a really good, I, I'm going to say, it was Luris deck, but it was really good. It was lands that had 
Dark Depths, Thespian Stage, plus Demonic Tutor to search for the combo, Vampire Hexmage is another combo piece, Crop Rotation to search for the combo, and round one, I played against Mono Blue Oops All Bounce. Oh, I was looking at like no. Snap and Odawara and Brazen Borrower, and I was like, I cannot make a Merit Lage token because it just is going to get wrecked. So I lost in round one of the, the top eight draft, but it's pretty fun. How, what's what's your vintage cube life like these days? My vintage cube life has just been a renaissance. Mostly I have been I've been drafting some, but I've been watching LSV's videos on his YouTube channel. Like yeah. you and I were chatting about that before the show, like just back to the old days, like when I was in college, falling asleep to a, an LSV <laughs> YouTube video. It's been great. Yeah. But yeah, I've been drafting. I some of my pet decks aren't really there anymore. Like black, white, like attrition disruption doesn't seem like it's really much of a thing anymore but i've been loving the blue combo decks been loving the lands packages i like how juiced the lands decks have gotten and Mm -hmm. domain honestly kind of seems like a thing like domain stompy like i've gotten got several times yeah by like territorial kavu and just other things beaten down with some of the tri lands interesting i haven't seen that yet i did get wrecked by a valicut dryad of the elysian grove combo that like so dryad of oh, elysian yeah, grove yeah, 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 turns yeah. all your lands into every basic land type and then valakut is like deal lightning bolt stuff once you have six mountains in play and i just was like oh this is a real thing and i drafted that and that's pretty cool yeah the, the vintage cube i was i think for a while you and i both were like eh, vintage cube isn't that different but daybreak games the company that is like taking over magic online they've done a great job with like overhauling retooling the vintage cube a bunch and you know i know some people aren't a huge fan of the changes this time around but i i think as i often feel like with anything with any game design take take those risks make those changes and then learn from them and i think that's what they're doing and i'm really enjoying the vintage cube is that true i haven't felt any of that scuttle about not liking the changes yeah i think so you know i mean i'm a huge fan that kiki combo is not in the cube this time around but i think some people don't like that i think there are a handful of like pretty questionable clunkers like weather seed treaty you know talk about domain being a thing but like weather seed treaty is way too slow for yes. vintage cube yeah for sure i think on my bucket list is doomsday thassa's oracle i have not gotten to do that yeah. yet but I, I really want to do that that feels like it kind of replaced splinter twin in some senses but it's so much harder to assemble i feel like yeah yeah that's all he has to say yeah <laughs> all right, ben, so you came to me with this great title and that's really what so all i needed to see was the title and i was like I'm sold. Whatever you want to do with this episode, let's do it. So, you know, I think a lot of the, we got a lot of great feedback on our best and worst episode last week. So thanks for folks about that. Um, Love to see everyone chiming in with their opinions about, you know, what their rankings were, et cetera. But I think a lot of people felt, or or I'd say a, a vocal majority felt that we maybe gave up on Lost Caverns a little too early. Guilty. Guilty. And that we maybe didn't give it a fair shot, whatever. And I think Part of that's certainly true. Part of it is also just like what's beautiful about this game and the reason why we can podcast about it for six years plus and the reason why we play it all day every day and discord and make our brothers jealous is because it different things about it appeal to different people. And so just because Ben and I say that like we didn't like LCI, that doesn't mean we're wrong and someone else is right or we're right and someone else is wrong, right? It's just like these are the things that didn't work for us. But I think part of what's going to be fun about this episode is getting to dive in about what our view 
of what didn't quite work. And then also take a little fun, I love a separate list, life, take a fun look at a handful of cards to buff and a handful of cards to nerf in the sort of alchemizing sense that they haven't really done since, what was it, Alchemy Horizons, Baldur's Gate or whatever. They like, you know, changed a few cards and we were really kind of blown away by how much a set can change by just a couple card tweaks, right? It was really, really came down to maybe four or five commons that got changed and we we're like, that's what matters, you know? And so we're going to see if maybe we can get into that today. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. It's a shocking how much the top 10 commons or whatever drive what has to happen in a format. Yeah. Well, and as I will talk about, I think a lot of that then stems from it's so it may be a bit of a chicken and an egg situation, but I think I think the the real egg is the mechanics. And we'll talk about that as well in terms of how it shapes the format. So before we get into all that good stuff, let's talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show will always be free, but you know, starting off a new year, turning over a new leaf, whatever. If you want to decide to start supporting your favorite magic podcast or our show, whatever uh, you deem worthy, <laughs> you can head on over to patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. And we have a lot of great perks over there for folks who want to do so. Get access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is just a fantastic spot for like-minded limited individuals to get to chat with each other. You can get access to a number of other things. Uh, the show a day early, you can get access to our show notes, the show in written form, as you can see it. And you can also get access with monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, that's where you want to head over to. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Joel, Frankie, Mark, Doug, Illicit, Licid, Cachon, Luis, Felix, Jamie, Jared, and David, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And one of those cool things is the checkout code LOL, all caps, to get you 5% off anything that you order and let them know that we sent you over there. So make sure that you use that for whatever you're ordering. And as Ethan said, it's a lot of magic to be played, a lot of things to be done. Honestly, the thing that I am kind of jonesing to do right now, about five or 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago at this point, my oldest brother and I put together a vintage cube that was like 700 some cards, like way too huge. And it's just like woefully out of date. And LSV was talking in his videos like he was he made his own cube and mm -hmm. has been testing his own new cube. And I kind of want to like go through and update our cube. But there's so many new cool cards in the vintage cube that I don't have. Like I'm maybe thinking about doing some orders from CoolStuffInc.com and, and putting together like tweaking, tweaking the vintage cube and, and getting it all up to date. So whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, buying some singles for cube, maybe it's for a commander deck. Maybe it's just getting another one of those draft boxes to store in the old closet to pick up some dust. Please make sure you use checkout code LOL all caps to get 5% off your order and let them know that we sent you over there. So really cool update in the community this week as well. There's a new website that's been started by G-Guards and Mike Provencher, who's a member of our Discord, as well as many uh, other Magic Discords, called mtgscribe.com. You know, there really isn't. Back in the day when there was just one platform, maybe you could go to mtgo.com, go to the updates. Maybe the calendar of events was up to date. Maybe it wasn't. It was February. You couldn't see what was going on in March, whatever. Now we've got MTGO, Arena, Paper Stuff, Secret Layer Drops, whatever, CubeCon Drama, maybe. If you want a spot for all of that good stuff <laughs> in one place, 
That's what MTG Scribe is. It's a really great website. They're taking a lot of feedback right now, um, but it's a, a good spot to be able to check just like, hey, what events are happening this month? What are the updates from Arena? What are the updates for MTGO? What formats have been announced for future, you know, Magic Cons or Pro Tours, whatever? MTGScribe.com. That's the place to go. I immediately put it in my browser, bookmarked it, because then I just don't need to worry about, like, I'm so sick of Googling MTG Arena <laughs> calendar announcements, and I don't have to do that anymore because Mike's taking care of it. So if you're like me and you've been trying to struggle with that stuff, mtgscribe.com is for you. Love it. So where do we want to start with talking about Lost Caverns of Ixalan, where it maybe fell short, what sort of thoughts we have about why it didn't quite click for us. I think personally, I would just like to get out into the world. I don't think it was that I gave up on the format. And someone someone in our Discord had said, you know, Ben, seems like Ben played this format for three weeks and then didn't touch it. And I, I didn't once Cons of Tarkir came out, which is like probably the first time ever in the history of our podcast that I have left a format as early as I did, just because there were other things I wanted to play more. It was cons, and there was the cons arena open to prep for. But as a podcaster, you have to keep up the ruse that you're still playing the format, that you're still an expert. I don't think so, because no, I, I think that just doesn't hold water with the people that are actually playing. Like, it's obvious that you're not, I think, yeah. when someone is actually diving in and doing 10 Lost Caverns of Ixalan drafts a week. And that hasn't been me for the past few weeks. So I think that's okay. But they that person was saying, well, I think if Ben came back to it, he would like it better. And I am I'm certain that I would not. Like, that's where the difference is, I think, between some of the feedback we've gotten in the Discord. There's just too many fundamental issues that don't hit for me personally. And not that other people can't enjoy what I don't like about it, but there's just a lot of baked in variance and inequity, I think, among mechanics and colors as a result of inequity among the mechanics in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And I think we're going to dive into some of that. So let's start by just taking a look at the mechanics, I think. So if you were to rank the mechanics power rankings in order, Oof. most powerful to least powerful. What would that be off the top of your head? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. You're putting me on the spot. Can we can we go one at a time? Like I'll say, I feel confident Discover is the most powerful. See, I, I don't really necessarily think that one. I think it has the highest ceiling. But the way they did it, it's on like three cards where it's busted and then irrelevant on a lot of other cards. Well, so that's a different question then, right? To say like, what's the most powerful mechanic intrinsically versus what's the most powerful mechanic printed on the cards in the format. So yeah, I think which of the mechanics pull the most weight in the format is how I want to pose the question. So I'll give you mine and I'll, I'll stall for a little bit and give you some time to think. I think for me, craft is number one tip top of how it influences the format or how it was printed on the cards. And then I would say explore slash map tokens. I think map tokens even more so than explore, but those kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then I would say Discover. It's certainly highest ceiling for Discover, but also printed on a lot of cards where you just don't ever play those cards. And then I think Descend is bringing up the rear, but that's largely due to how they designed Descend and the Descend cards rather than it is a knock against some sort of a graveyard mechanic. Like it, it could have been different if the format were less aggressive. But basically, you know, I don't know if you listened to Sirkovitz's episode on LR where he was talking about data, but like descend decks essentially have to make it to like turn 10 or turn 11 before their win rate like starts mm. getting to what you would want for your win rate to be. And that's just such a tough ask in this format because the majority of the cards do not incentivize you to do that. 
Yeah, you really have to go against the grain of the entire set to make a Descend deck work. I also feel like part of what's baked into your question and why I'm kind of having a hard time answering it is, is the as fan of it, of like where things exist at common. Because I do think like I like Descend a lot, but it's basically at rare. Like you need the Tarmogoyf variant. You need like you need some stuff. You need the the four mana four four that has you surveil two, and then if you have descend eight, you whenever you draw a card, you drain one. Like you need pieces like that. It's not the common like brood rage mycoid or whatever basking chupacabra or whatever it is. Well, Captain it's not bad, but, but you need you need chupacabra echo. Like that's what you need. Yeah, below rare, I think, to make descend work to really feel good about going in on it. So I think a better conversation we can go in that order we can talk about craft because it's interesting that you have crafted the ceiling because i do think there are some craft cards as we'll get to in our buffs and nerfs that are perhaps a little skewed but i didn't you know maybe it was because of my approach you know i went into the format thinking that craft it was going to be all about craft it kind of reminds me of how i felt about the modal double-faced cards in zendikar rising went on a real journey with that you know starting with i'm going to jam seven or eight of these in a deck with 12 lands. And then that just not really working out. And the format really shaking out to be much more about finding your color pair and then getting two to three MDFCs in that mix once you knew what deck you were trying to to be in, rather than just like snap up all the MDFCs and make a brew around those. And I think I treated craft similarly as that early on of like, well, these cards are all incredible, but you get to this sort of choke point or diminishing returns with craft because they all need the same resources, you know? And so then it's about like figuring out which of the craft cards really matter, which of the craft cards stand on their own face up, which of the craft cards are you're really incentivized to want to flip, which of the ones you can take or leave flipping. Like, I think that's a lot more about what craft is. And so I don't know if across the board, I feel like it's that powerful because part of me feels like, you know, Tithing Blade is a great example a card that we were super high on. And then I once I realized that Tithing Blade was not about flipping it at all, it was just like, do you want the edict? Do you want the rectangle after you've edicted? Then you'll like this card. It's not about flipping. You just don't, you never had time to flip that card for a meaningful way to impact the game. But that's what's going to be so interesting about talking about the alchemy changes we're thinking about making to the cards, because I do think it all starts with the mechanics, right? Yes. So I would say that one of the knocks against craft for the format for me is that the good craft cards and and I agree not all craft cards are created equal but the good craft cards let the best decks the Jeskai colored decks win the early game and win the late game which is just not fair right because if craft weren't as good as it were on some of the cards then descend would have a reason to try to win the late game you know what I mean but you can just play blue white or you can just play blue red and also still have almost as good a late game as the decks that are only trying to play for the late game. You know what I mean? Right. Can, can you throw out a few cards as examples? I mean, obviously like Master's Guide Mural is Master's one. Master's Guide <laughs> Mural, Clay Fried Bricks, like is just Clay Fired Bricks. I've called it Fried Bricks for way too long. But neither of those cards win the early game. They but only they win go, the late game. But they game. go in a deck that is already so good at the early game that it doesn't matter. And then they also get to play this super powerful late game card just essentially for free. Like, yeah, the, the blue white decks are so good at every single stage of the game because blues cards are so versatile. 
Yeah, I think that's, it's more about, I think blue is just very powerful in the format. And as we talked about, I think white has some shortcomings. It does sort of end up in that sort of split. There's like a bifurcated thing about white of like, some cards are really good at being aggressive. Some cards are really good at being defensive. Cosmium Blast, the um, Saw Blades, whatever, things like that. But I, I agree with you. Blue is is juiced. So if we move on to Explore as a mechanic, I think one of the fundamental problems in the format for me with Explore just being a powerful mechanic, but also in this format, I think a high variance mechanic is that it it's printed on so many evasive creatures. Yeah. And then... Like, that's kind of weird because then you're really incentivized to want the plus one, plus one counter. And if you're, if you miss and your opponent hits on a plus one, plus one counter on their evasive creature and you miss on yours, then all of a sudden they are winning the board presence race, which is more important than hitting your land drops up to, you know, land five, six, seven sometimes. It's very weird to me how much hitting the plus one, plus one counter matters on a lot of the good cards that either explore or make map tokens. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, and and looks like it'll be coming back to Arena. I don't know if it's this week or next week, but Rivals of Ixalan draft, which is Rivals, Rivals, and then OG Ixalan as the draft format, um, will be coming back to Arena. And I was trying to think back to explore in that set. And a lot of the cards were understated. You know, in that set we had, I think it was called Seeker Squire, which was one in a black for a one-two ETB Explorer. And we have that, that was an uncommon. And we have that at common in River Herald Scout in this format. And that card's not good. Like, that's just not, because what you want from that card, it's not aggressive, right? Because sometimes it's a two-mana one-two. And it's not good defensively, because sometimes it's a two-mana one-two, right? What you want is, if you're looking for a good blocker, you want the two-mana three-three defender, basically, in blue. And I was trying to think about, well, why was Seeker Squire... I mean, obviously, it's been six years, so just power creep is a thing. But also, a lot of the cards with Explore in that format were understated, right? There were like lots of... You know, there was a two mana 03 that could become a 1 4, or there was a four mana 2 2 menace, or four mana 2 2 haste with explore. So, like, they were woefully understated if they hit a land. And then, even if they hit a spell, like, you were wanting to hit a land because even in that format, because even if they hit a spell, they were still bad. You're like, well, now I'm still playing a four mana 3 3 that didn't draw me a card. So, I'd rather play a four mana 2 2 that did draw me a card, you know? And I wonder if that is part of the issue here is that, like, they're just kind of well statted. Like you've got whatever, you got a four mana four three that's gonna draw you a land, or it's a four mana five four, which just ends up being huge. Better than a four three draw you a land because the games are so compressed too. And I think one of the things we wanted to do with this episode was just talk about intrinsic power level also, right? Or right. How, how power works. And River thank, you for, Scout- thank you for grounding the episode and not just <laughs> Ethan and Ben complain for an hour. Yeah, but it, I don't think it will be that. Hopefully people haven't tuned out already. <laughs> yeah. But I think River Herald Scout is such a good example because that's a great Magic the Gathering card, right? Right. Like a one and a blue, yeah. one, two, draw you a land. Great. Sign me up. You're playing that 10 out of 10 times. In most formats, yeah. except, except Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And a two-mana 2-3 two, is also... A two-mana 2-3 two, Surveil one is great. Yes, should be very good as well. Like, that's that's akin to, you know, like some of the top commons we've seen, like Scrapwork Mutt or yeah. the stupid thing from the, the Broker's deck. What was that called? Rafine's Informant. Yeah, yeah. The, the two-one that rummaged. Like, it's in that ilk of cards, but yet somehow in Lost Caverns of Ixalan, you're hoping to not put River Herald Scout in your deck unless you're Blue, Green, and Explore, and you're you're hoping to not be Blue, Green, Explore. You yeah. Know? 
which is such a weird thing. And if we were to try to alchemize River Herald Scout, like I don't think you can do it to make it good. Like, what are you going to do? Make it a two, a two mana two two? Right. Like, given the context of the other cards around it, yeah, it's very hard to change it because it's already so strong. But the issue is, there's already explore or map tokens stapled onto flyers, like a two two flyer or a one one flyer that are just like way better and way more efficient than River Herald Scout. Well, and in some, you know, map tokens you can think of as a downside. You have to invest mana into them. You have to have a creature in play, right? Like you can get blown out with because you're targeting. Whereas when a creature comes into play and has explore, you just do it. But honestly, most of the time it's all upside because okay, you I was get gonna to say that's what I was about. <laughs> like I didn't know where we were going there. <laughs> most of the time it's all upside because you get to put it wherever you want, right? Like, sure, so you get to play Waterwind Scout, get the map token, maybe you get to put it on Scout and it becomes a three-three flyer or it draws you land. Then later in the game, you get to get your 2-2 flyer, and then maybe you immediately get to explore onto something else, and you get the counter, and you enable an attack that you didn't have previously. You know, like, the map tokens are generally more versatile and more powerful for limited than just straight-up explore. Well, and because they overlap with all the artifacts matters stuff, and, you know, can craft. Like, they're just so strong. So you'd almost rather River Herald Scout. River Herald Scout would be better if it were one in a blue one to make a map token. Like that that would be closer to getting it playable. I still don't think it quite gets there. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I think that's true. So do you so it sounds like you think part of the issue is about it being tacked onto evasive threats. Because I, I I don't remember that being the thing from OG Ixalan or Rivals that like it didn't really feel like that was where it was attached to. Like it had, you know, there were some menace creatures or whatever, but I don't feel like it was on so many flyers. I mean, Miner's Guidewing, it's not quite the map token thing, right? You can just fizzle with it, but more often than not, you're getting so much for just that single white mana. Well, and there's also the aspect of variance too, right? Like people are going to be drafting Waterwind Scout highly. If you're playing in Mythic on Arena or whatever, playing against good competition, you're likely to be jamming Waterwind Scouts into each other. Like that's not an uncommon thing. And then when your opponent hits and you miss, like, Theirs is just so much better than yours, and that was all random chance. Yeah, but like in turn, if we're, I, I feel like I want to push back on the variance argument because like you're also just as likely to outclass. Like it's all gonna work out in the wash. That's right? you're fair. just as in the grand. I'm living in the moment, baby. I know, you, I know you're very much moment. living in the moment. But like, yeah, this this argument doesn't quite do it for me. That's fair. I, I appreciate that perspective, Ethan. Is it just me, or is the idea of New Year, New Me incredibly stressful? Like, just overnight, I'm supposed to fix all my bad habits and become the perfect version of myself? Sounds impossible. Yep, that's why this year I'm trying something different. New Year, same me. Me Undies wants you to feel empowered, whether you love drafting on the treadmill or on the couch. Their Move Me collection is soft and moisture-wicking, ready to support your movement, big and small. And if you want to lounge, you'll love their super soft undies, loungewear, and PJs. I'm starting to get really stressed and nervous about the PT, making sure I select the right deck and time to get enough reps with it. But I'm definitely not stressed about what I'll be wearing, because you better believe the comfort of Me Undies will be with me all weekend long. Me Undies has something for everyone, from all black classics to fun expressive prints and sizes ranging from extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. This seriously is the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn. The fabric is soft, breathable, stretchy. 
and as cozy as a pack one pick one soul ring and vintage cube. Kick off the new year comfier than ever and get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash LOL. That's MeUndies.com slash LOL for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Okay. Okay. So, so we got Craft and Explore and then Discover, which we also already sort of touched on in the 50 Takes episode, is this like the Delta is just so huge. The reason why I said I thought Discover was clearly the most powerful mechanic is because when it exists on like a four mana three two, it's just busted. Yeah. It's either, it's either insane yeah. or you're not very interested. Uh, the, I think the sweet spot is the lands. Like that was. Well, a very nice sweet spot. And I think, you know, a shout out to Sam Black and and these other sort of Descend. Pioneers, explorers. The frontiers people of Descend decks is uh, what's it called? Walk with the Ancestors, the four and a green, return a permanent, discover four. I think that was a pretty key piece to a lot of the like derpy graveyard decks. And so that feels like a sweet spot of a card that I was like, this looks like I was equating that to whatever, the five mana, three things can't block, discover four. And it's part of just like one you one card is, or one color is not really interested in that variance and the other color is. But I think most of the time, yeah, you're like, if you tack it onto a real card, it's going to be incredible. If you tack it onto not a real card, it's going to be unplayable. Yeah, I think that's generally true. I actually think Descend was great. I think Descend is a great mechanic. I agree, except it's in the wrong format. Like the other other stuff around it is just better. Like the the balance of the mechanics is out of whack to me. Well, and I think, you know, this this is a gripe. I do think the act of descending, not counting tokens, is very clunky. It's a huge intuition fail. Like having to explain that to people. I don't know if you, did you ever play this format at an LGS? Like having to explain that to people is like it doesn't make it you're just like oh no it doesn't count tokens like why tokens go to the graveyard just like yeah but not today like (laughs) it's it's hard it does not really you feel like you're like i have a grasp on the rules of magic the gathering and someone's like yes but (laughs) it's not not the same here yeah i i would agree with that but i think you could also make descend a little more competitive i think just from like if we're talking about alchemizing things i think if it were three and six instead of four and eight like that would be almost more closer to the power level of craft or something else because then you can get a mill two hit twice and then just have one thing go to the graveyard and then it's turned on whereas you almost have to mill two twice to really get it turned on in any sort of reasonable timeline. Yeah, that's interesting. I never felt like turning, you know, I I don't have memories of looking at my graveyard with the little three in the corner or whatever, looking at all my descend cards with three and being like, why can't I get to four? You know, I don't know if that's a product of when you were doing the descend thing, it was just easy to get to four or a product of descend for what, like when I'm thinking about the descend for payoffs, they didn't really matter. <laughs> like I was more just using my graveyard as a resource, as like another place to have value rather than thinking about getting to that threshold of four or eight, if that makes sense. That does like make there, sense. There were obviously a few key cards, like the the two mana eight, eight, like you're trying to descend eight for that thing, you know, but other than a few of those exceptions, I didn't feel that. Yeah, I do think descend is great. I just think Basically, Descend took a lot of work or a lot of time, like as we saw, like certainly that was my sense was that Descend decks needed the game to go very long. 
mm-hmm. before you were interested in doing it. And then like hearing the data from Sirkovitz on LR backed up my intuition. But craft takes no effort. Discover takes no effort. Explore takes no effort. There's three mechanics, no effort. And descend takes work and a lot of deck building and and are some of the, if we talk about power level disparity, some of the least intrinsically powerful cards in the set. All right. I'm, I'm so excited. I love a separate list moment for us. And we have two lists of 10 cards here to buff and to nerf in the format. And we have come separately with our own alchemized. So if, if Watsi, you're listening, if you'd like to hire us at R&D, we're, you know, we're, we're available for, for consult here. Where would you like to start, good sir? Let's start with the buffs. All right, let's start with the buffs. First card to discuss is Bat Colony. Bat Colony is two and a white for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 one, one black bat creature token with flying for each mana from a cave spent to cast it. And whenever a cave enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. I have a feeling we have the same change for this card, but I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what yours is. Oh, I went very avant-garde with my changes. Oh, I, no. I, doubt, I doubt we have the same change. Wait, did you go avant-garde with like all your changes? No, but I went fairly avant-garde with this one for what I wanted it to do because we we didn't really talk about caves as one of the mechanics, but I do think they mm. fell flat in power level compared to the other things. I think could have been a better escape hatch than they were, and I think would have been were Bat Colony better. So here's my change to Bat Colony. I think okay. it should be two and a black instead of two oh, and a white. Two so and a black. avant-garde, okay. Make a bat for each mana from a cave spent to cast it. So similar on that part. Uh-huh. And then instead of the putting plus one, plus one counters on it, sacrifice two caves to return bat colony to its owner's hand interesting so that it's more powerful kind of ties in with descend this is by far my craziest one maybe we shouldn't have started off with this one but (laughs) this is though i love it i love it so i went what i thought the obvious change was was thinking about you know wingmate chaplain or whatever that card was the defender that made one one flyers you know we've had guild payoffs before that like not only care about how many of the things you have when you play it, but not punishing you for having caves after the fact. And I just felt like the plus most one counter thing didn't do it. So I said, whenever a cave ETBs, you make a bat. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Like, so, so that you're, you could feel fine in a deck with eight caves casting this with, for no bats. You'd be like, okay, but I'm going to get bats eventually. And it, you know, it's powerful, but not like crazy out of hand. You're only getting one per turn with your land drops usually. So yeah, I think you could, I think you could have fixed this. Why did you want to change it? Would you change it to black because of descend? Because of descend. And I felt like white was the color. The caves decks were by far the least interested in. And then like you were stretching your mana to try to get a bat colony in there, but bat colony wasn't actually that good. So if, if we're talking about baseline power level also, right, Bat, Bat Colony just didn't meet the baseline entry for power level into the format. Yeah, I agree. All right, moving on to Brood Rage Mycoid. This is three to black for a 4-3, and at the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, you make a 1-1 one, one token that can't block. I believe it's a fungus token. There were a handful of cards of our 20 that I had a difficult time adjusting. This is one of them, because I couldn't quite figure out how to make this not like every there were tweaks that I was making. I was like, I don't need this to be like a top common. So how do I like because I was thinking about tweaks to to it that we're just going to make it too powerful. And I was like, this doesn't need to be too powerful. It just needs to be kind of good. So but I think I landed on maybe one that's too powerful. So I decided <laughs> I decided to make it a three three. So it's a four mana three three. But when you descend, 
You make a bat, not Ooh, a fungus. Ooh, that is that's that's borderline. I don't know if that's too powerful. That might be fine. It might be fine, but that that's where I landed. What did you do? I again, it's a little avant-garde. Maybe my changes <laughs> are more avant-garde. I made it one in a black Whoa. for a, for a one three with one the same black, ability. One three. Oh, I, I actually really like that. Yeah, because I, I wanted more cheap it's a def- defense. It's, yeah, yeah it's I wanted def- to give it reach, and I thought that was a little too busted. <laughs> also, it seems out of the color pie a little bit. <laughs> no, black, green, four, four, flying vigilance, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Two mana, one, three, gives black a little more defensive speed and potentially lets yeah. you like start the descent train early, lets you load up on these. Yeah, it gives the white, black sacrifice deck a little more yeah. fodder, potentially, like helps that deck turn on a little bit more. Ooh, all right. I, I say I think you win that one for sure. <laughs> all right. Next up is Canonized in Blood. This card was terrible. This was one that we sort of had to. I had to talk you off the ledge a little bit in a previous season about. So this is one of Black Enchantment at the beginning of your step. If you descended this turn, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on a creature, and you can pay what is it five black black or six and a black to sacrifice it and make a four three token with flying. So. If we're just talking about power level, right? Like, yeah. So we, we saw Bat Colony. We saw Canonized in Blood. Like, they're making you jump through hoops for plus one, plus one counters. Blue just gets it for free with Upside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, with, with map tokens. Like, no effort needed and high synergy. Like, that's there's such a power level discrepancy there. So this is one of my my more avant-garde changes. So I'll go first. I okay. said if you just... De- If you descended this turn, you lose a life and you draw a card. And instead of it making a 4-3 flyer, it makes a 4-3 lifelink. So you're going to, once you get to that mana, you get a thing that's going to hopefully get you some of that life back that you got. And I I don't even think this would have been a good card. Right. But I think this could have at least been, it could have been something to like try and go after, try and make work. Where it's just like the way Canonized and Blood was, you just never wanted to touch it. Yes. My change here was, again, trying to power up some of the the tokens decks and trying to descend a a little bit more to incentivize you. So I changed it to if you descended, you make a 1-1 vampire token with lifelink and then also changing the rules of descend to where tokens would trigger descend. Like then that would turn this into. You can't do that, though. You don't (laughs) want to do that. Why not? because you don't want to be able to descend every turn with just a token. Like I do. You, I don't think you do. <laughs> you really don't? I really don't. I mean, you're well, you know, it's your your game. You can do whatever you want. But I think that I think that descend not including tokens is correct. I just also think it's incredibly clunky and you have to design the mechanic differently. That's fair. Uh, like, yeah. I, I also toyed around with this one pooping out bats, but yeah. I couldn't quite dial that one in. It sounds like I didn't dial my <laughs> their design in either all right next up we have mephitic draft i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one this is one in a black for an artifact when mephitic draft enters the battlefield or is put into a graveyard from the battlefield you draw a card and lose a life again i don't think my change makes this card particularly good but i did gave it the ability to sacrifice itself so i gave it one in a black sacrifice mephitic draft Ooh, I like that. I also tacked on some upside. I think between both of us, we've got a very good card. <laughs> I, I also added on that it mills a card on ETB and going to the graveyard. Oh, again, you're trying to juice descend a little bit. Yeah. Oh, because then it by itself, like if it hits a permanent both times, it by itself get will two. get you. Yeah. You'll get two plus itself. Plus itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm into that. All right. Next up, we've got Basking Capybara. One in a green for a one three. My, this card fell. <laughs> 
from the previews. Man. Descend four, it gets plus three, plus oh, as long as there are four or more permanent cards in your graveyard. So my change for this was I made it a two-two. So one in a green, two-two, and I said when it ETBs, if you have descend four, you draw a card. So rather oh. than because I feel like part of the thing about this card was or the appeal for this card was what's well, good early, good late, right? At two mana one three early, two mana four three late. But you just didn't really care about a two mana four three late. And so I was like, we also I'm didn't fine. care about a two mana one three early. Correct. So I was like, well, let's make it a two two early, which is at least a more serviceable body. And then later on, I didn't want to make it bigger. I just thought like, so to not punish you for drawing your two mana two two later in the game, it cantrips for you. My, I went with a different approach. I just tried to make it relevant early. Mine's a little cleaner. I just added reach to it. A little cleaner than my great design? Excuse <laughs> you, sir. You just added reach to it? Yeah. So then it can block all of the stupid blue flyers. It's actually pretty good because green didn't then, get a small reach right. creature. You, you're yeah. just dying in the early game constantly. And then this is good. And if they have a trick to push through, fine. It fuels descend. But the reason you couldn't play this as a defensive creature was because it could never block the yeah. things that it needed to be able to block. So then it either slows the game down or they use a trick to push it through and it goes to your graveyard and helps fuel descend. Or late in the game, it's a 4-3 reach, which you're also pretty happy with. Yeah. Next up, I don't even know if this card was worth <laughs> changing, but when we put it on the list, just because it was such an, another clunker in a color that I think could have used having some non-clunkers early in the curve. This is Malamet Brawler. It's one of green for a 2-2. When it attacks, you can give another creature trample until end of turn i had a very i thought good solution because this was like what i thought every time i saw this card in the draft why is this not a dinosaur this just needed to be a dinosaur and then all of a sudden all of a sudden it's playable because then you incur this into the three three gain three life you can give your big clunky dinosaurs trample this is infinitely more playable if it's a dinosaur i i went i went avant-garde as we're saying this episode i made this a three one and I said, when it deals combat damage to a player, create a map token. Whoa, that is juiced. But it's a but a three one, like so maybe it'll hit. But like it's a you know it creates a, a slight little mini game, gives green some aggression. Yeah, I don't know. I, oh, I, I like it. I like that card. Cool. It feels like uncommon power level almost, but I don't think it's out of control with what else is going on in the format. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. All right, next we've got Zoyoa Lava Tongue. This is black red for the 2-2 Death Touch. At the beginning of your end step, if you descend this turn, each opponent may discard a card or sacrifice a permanent, and this deals three damage to each opponent who didn't. Yeah, so the issue with red-black, I think, in the format was that, well, one, I think red-black, you look at this card and you thought, oh, it's aggressive. But then we realized black can never play an aggressive role in the format. And so... This is more of a grindy attrition card, but it's just too, like the decision is too slow. The fact that your opponent gets to decide they're going to sack a thing, maybe it's going to help them with descend, whatever, like it's just not good. So I just said, if you descended this turn, each opponent loses two life. That's it. That's a clean solution. I changed it to sacrifice a non-land permanent so that people felt uh, a non-land non-token permanent so that people felt the pinch a little bit more. They had, to, they had to get rid of a real piece of cardboard or, or take three. Or lose three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, do they still have the choice? Yeah, that makes sense. But our, but our brains are on a similar wavelength, I think, with it. 
Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have Promising Vein. Shout out to my least favorite land of the year. Uh, this is the cave that taps for a colorless, and you can pay one tap, sack it to search your library for a basic land, put it into play tapped, then shuffle. I mean, again, I don't know if my solution makes this playable, but I did say that this could search for a cave. Oh, yeah, that's nice. I, I did even more than that. <laughs> I, I kind of thought it already did that for some reason. But yeah, search for a cave would be great. But I just I just want it to be Evolving Wilds. Like, I just don't want to have to pay the one. I think if it were a cave that were Evolving Wilds, they could just tap to search up a basic. That's enough. That's insane. Why is that insane? That's just so put. So you're just like, you're just juicing Evolving. You're just saying Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse, you're done. You guys are pushed out. Now we have a card that is just a land that taps for colorless or tap sack. No, 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 no. Oh. I don't want it to be able to tap for colorless. Okay. I want you it just to be want a cave that is an evolving wilds. Oh, that's clean. Yeah. So we, we have the same idea. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I like that. <laughs> no, I don't want I don't want evolving wilds to tap for colorless. <laughs> I like, did not what? that was on me. I did not do a very good job articulating that. <laughs> That was on me. <laughs> wow. All right, moving on to Hwatley's final strike. This is two and a green for an instant. Target creature you control gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. Deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls. I'm juicing it, baby. Juicing it. Clear shot at common. I want plus Whoa. one plus one. And bite. That's what I want. Plus one plus one. I, I kind of like that solution better. I made it cost one and a green. That's what we sort of learned from these previous alchemized sets is that it's just these it's just a couple tiny little knobs that you turn. So I don't know if it's one mana less or one toughness more or whatever, but I do feel like it doesn't take much to make Watley's final strike really good. And it doesn't re and I don't feel like again, like you said, I don't think Watley's final strike, I don't think Green having a good removal spell at common is so out of whack with what's happening with the rest of the format. No, there listen there is nothing blue on our list of things <laughs> to buff. That's true. And, and That's a lot true. of a lot of descend, a lot of black, a lot of green, a lot of cave. It was like things that were just mechanically, but I, it starts with mechanically. Like, yeah, these are some flat card designs, but there's such a, a hurdle from the disparity between mechanics to overcome, I think. Yeah. The last one we have on our list, and you could sort of think about this as a mechanic, but it was really just sort of like an archetype uh, identity, which was black-white sacrifice. So we have Bartolome del Presidio, which uh, is a black-white for a 2-1, and you can sacrifice an artifact or a creature to put a plus plus one counter on it. I think when sacrifice stuff doesn't come with its own fodder, it's really hard. We saw this with, you know, Skullport Merchant was very strong and wasn't uncommon, but he like sacked to draw cards too. I don't think it's crazy for Bartolome to come in with just a little something, something. And I know there are no blood tokens in the format otherwise, but blood has a little bit of descend synergy in terms of letting you discard. It's got some vampire juice there. So I said, Bartolome, you're a one, two now, not a two, one. And you enter the battlefield with a blood token. I like it. That's very avant-garde, bringing in, bringing in the blood mechanic. Yeah. Mine was, I, I just wanted it to be a little different. I wanted black-white to be more of a deck. And I think what I, what I did to Bartolome would just, in and of itself, turn black-white into a very competitive deck with the blue decks. I made it a 1-2 with ward 2. Mm -hmm. So it was a little harder to kill. Almost wanted to give it ward 3. And then to have sacrifice another creature artifact to drain one gain one that's great what if it also like because we also felt like it was, the the whole sacrifice thing was missing a when you sacrifice so what if bartolome i mean that's just cruel celebrant i guess like i was just like what if bartolome rather than it being able to sacrifice 
if it just said when you sacrifice is a blood artist it's a blood artist but only for your your stuff yeah but then there's there's no cards that let you sack a bunch of things in one turn to dome them out right i don't know if that's good like i don't know if that's good for limited you know like it i don't know if being able to just machine gun your opponent for six or whatever is is good <laughs> that's fair but yeah it's possible all right so those are our buffs now we've got the naughty list the cards that that need to be reined in first up we've got old tech cloud guard and it's interesting i feel very confident that i know what all of these cards do the other ones i was like oh what is uh, what's canonized in blood do yeah okay so old tech cloud guard three and a white four a three two flyer when atbs you get a one one I went, I did small, small tweaks for a lot of these. And my tweak was just make it a 3-1 instead of a 3-2. Ooh, I still think it's pretty busted as a 3-1 flyer. It's still, per- so I didn't want to make it, well, I'm curious, what, what, what's your change? My change is 3 white white for a 3-3 three, three flyer plus a 1-1. One, one. Isn't that just bad now? Like, I don't, what I wanted to do is I was like, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if it's bad that this is white's best common or second best white common or whatever. Like that is like that's is that worse than Basilica Shepherd from one? I know it's hard to like compare cards across different sets, but Basilica Shepherd was three white white for a three three flyer that made two mites, so they couldn't I think block. The fact that the one one can block is a and is a flyer, yeah. Or, or, or the one one's not a flyer; it's just an artifact, right? Oof. I, I like my change better. As you should. It's your change. <laughs> All right. Clay Fried Bricks. What's going on there? This is one and a white for an artifact. When ETBs search your library for a basic planes card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. You gain two life, and you can craft with artifact for five white white. When you do, it turns into Cosmium Kiln. And when that ETBs, you make two one one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens and creature tokens. No, creatures you control. Get plus one plus one. Yeah. So I will confess uh, a handful of these, three maybe on this list, four I would say maybe on this list. I didn't really feel strongly about changing, and this is one of them. So I'm cu- I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why this card. I mean, maybe we've already talked about it with craft and when the early game, late game, or whatever. What's your change to to the old clay fried bricks? Well, first of all, I think this card existing is just egregious. Like it let it lets white decks play well in the early game and also win the late game, which is just not remotely close to fair. When your opponent gets off to a good start and also has a clay fried bricks on the battlefield, like you just feel hopeless, which is not a great feeling. Like, you know, even if you manage to kind of dig in as soon as they hit that seventh mana, like it's not great when your aggro deck, you're rooting for your opponent's aggressive deck to not drop their seventh land drop. (laughs) Yes, that's not a great, that's not a fair feeling. That's fair. That's true. And this also helps you get to that threshold by finding a land. Like, I think this card would be fine if it... uh, There's many changes. The one I came up with was a two and a white initial cost instead of a one and a white initial cost. Make Make it a little easier up front and to craft with two artifacts instead of one. And I, I still I still think that's a very good magic card. I only did the craft with two artifacts as my change. I thought it was also slightly flavorful with those two artifacts right. turning into the two one ones. Yeah, look at that. Look at us. Couple of couple designers here. Hey, wizards, hello. <laughs> uh, but I, I the two does two and a white make it too bad then? I think it no, might. No, because it gets a land. You're playing like three mana one You're, one, search up a land or whatever. But it's like, not a one one. But it gains you two life. It's a bit of a speed bump, and it's so much better in the late game. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is not. So too you bad. would. So your nerf would just be cut, cut it from the set. Oh, if I could, for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure, for sure. I'm curious about then this next one too, Zoetic Glyph. So 
And there was, I, I, I wish I'd pulled it up, but I think there was some Twitter discourse about the design of this card and that it had been perhaps less good and then they made it too good or whatever. So this is the two and a blue enchantment. You enchant an artifact, make it a five, four. And when Zoetic Glyph leaves the battlefield, you discover three. And that part I think is the, I mean, you know, three mana, five, four, pretty, pretty big, but I don't think that's that egregious. I think the big knock against this is that it's not just when enchanted creature dies. Right. Like, yes. It, it being the fact that once this sticks, you have no hope of them not getting discover three. It's pretty bad. Pretty bad. So is that your change? That's my change. Yeah. Is that when it dies, discover three. I mean, you could nerf it to a four, three and it would still be good, but I'm not sure that you need, like my feeling is not that you have to like flatten the power level of all of these things. My feeling is not that there can't be a mythic uncommon in blue. And if that's a glyph, so be it, whatever. But I do think like this can't both excel on the axis of a head-on rate and then really tough to answer without getting savaged value-wise, you know? Yes. Mine is a less elegant solution. I thought about the solution you proposed, but then I still thought it was a little too good. I changed it to three and a blue enchanted artifact as a four-four, and when the creature dies, draw a card. Yeah, that just feels like a common to me. That's like Mightstone's animation, kind of. Yeah, I wanted it to be more like that, but... That's just so much worse. Yeah, I I think I'd be fine with turning the thing into a 4-3, and when it dies, discover 3. I think I would be fine with that change as well. And that would still be very good. Would still be very good, yeah, because of the discover portion of it, right? Yeah. Discover is either very good or not so good. Well, but the fact that this is a 3-mana thing that then discovers 3, like, that's just also busted yeah like you're, you're potentially get you're getting something valuable and then when it goes away you're getting something that's perhaps equally as valuable in terms of your investment of mana yeah it's a built-in aggressive two for one next up is the other mythic blue uncommon spyglass siren single blue one one flyer when it etbs you get a map token we sort of had this and waterwind scout in conversation i requested if we're going to do one this one because i think i have a better solution for this one which is i decided to make it an o one instead of a one one that's the same thing I had for Waterwind Scout. I was going to make Spyglass Siren an 01, and I was going to make Waterwind Scout a 1-2. Spyglass Siren being an 01 feels better to me than Scout. Scout being a 1-2 feel, like, is that just too bad? Maybe not. Maybe no. Maybe it's just good. Then it's an appropriately valued card where you're, like, kind of hoping to hit the land. Like, that's the... what I want. If Explorer is on an evasive creature, I would like to be incentivized to hit a land. Yeah. I, I would want to be rooting for like okay with either outcome rather than it feel like feast or famine whether i hit a plus one plus one counter or a land all right another evasive one drop is up next what's going on there we've got ruin lurker bat this is single white for a one one with flying and lifelink at the beginning of your end step if you descended this turn scry one another card i'm gonna be honest i think this is fine oof i think I, it's fine I, I took away lifelink i said i took i said it's a one one flyer if you descended this turn, it gains lifelink until end of turn. Like it has lifelink as long as you've descended this turn. So you would need to descend early in the turn? Yeah. To be able to attack with it with lifelink? Yeah. But so isn't, isn't descended always at the end of your turn? Well, that's so like, that's what if you get a thing, but you could definitely be like, yeah, you, there are cards where that's happened before where it's like. When you descend, this gains lifelink. Sure. How about that? Yeah, maybe that's a cleaner. Like whatever. I, I let R&D take care of the, the nitty gritty there. Yeah, both of those are significantly worse cards than what it is. Is Ruin Lurker Bat that egregious? I don't think it is. 
It's not except for like, and this goes back to power level or things you're incentivized to do. It just so directly easily slots in as a busted card into what decks are already incentivizing you to do. And not, it's not cool because it has the descend text. It's cool because it's a one, one flying lifelink that you can dump counters onto and then race. Like that's not what the card is trying to do. I don't think like, so to me, that's a, design fail like this is this is so easily abused that way that like the descent part of this doesn't matter it's just the fact that it's a one one flying lifelink yes that's what it is yeah Yeah. and i don't think that's particularly interesting and i think it's largely unhealthy for the format for what white decks are already trying to do i think i agree with that yeah next up we have captain storm cosmia raider this is the signpost blue red two two whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control you can put a plus plus one counter on target pirate you control. Yeah, I changed this one to be gets plus one plus one until end of turn instead of a plus one plus one counter. And I said this ability triggers only once each turn. Yeah, those were the two I was flip flopping back and forth between. Yeah. Next up, as you'll see, we have a lot of one drops on and we probably could have just done a whole thing about the one drops. And I don't again, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that the format is so wrapped up in a lot of these one mana plays. But I think perhaps just just tweaking them a little bit is uh, something that could have improved the set. So we've Goblin Tomb Raider. It's one red mana for a one, two. As long as you have an artifact in play, it has plus one, plus O oh, and haste. Yeah, this is one that I don't actually mind existing the way it is. If I had to change it, I think I would have it get plus one, plus O oh, and menace instead of plus one, plus O oh, and haste. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't mind this. This feels sort of akin to Goblin Rune Blaster from Brothers War where you kind of had a build around it common, right? Like you got one of these. Once you had like two of these, you were actively looking for as many of these as possible and as many cheap artifacts as possible as well. And I think having that as a deck at common is good. It just so happened that every color kind of had the ability to do something like that at common. I probably nerfed it too far, but I said basically just when it ETBs, if you have an artifact, it gets plus one, plus O and haste until end of turn. So one turn, oh, like yeah. if you play That's it on one. That's a huge nerf, right? Yeah, so it's just a bad card then. But I think also once you nerf Captain Storm, I think Goblin Tomb Raider is like totally fine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like how explosive some of those starts could be with a Captain Storm. Yeah, I buy that. All right, next up we've got the little guy that could, the Pogwork champion himself. This is Cogwork Wrestler, blue for a 1-2 with Flash. And when it ETBs, target creature and opponent controls gets minus 2, minus 0 until end of turn. I, I don't mind this card that much, to be honest. It's pr- Again, it's pretty annoying in that it's so free. Like, this is where, like, if we talk about power level, like, and once you start to, okay, so there's power level disparity between the blue cards and some of the other cards, right? Like, the blue cards are just intrinsically more powerful than a lot of the other car- commons of Correct. other colors. And then once you start to stack like Water Wind Scout plus Spyglass Siren, plus all of a sudden like one of the ways your opponent could maybe play defense is blocking and then throw in this card that's already synergistic that says your opponent can't engage with you in combat without getting horrifically wrecked efficiently. Like it just starts to be oppressive a little bit. Like, so I I agree. Cogwork Wrestler is a fine magic card, but once you add its efficiency up to all of the other efficiencies, like it does really start to get out of hand. Like there's a, there's a bit of a point of no return or a tipping point or something where like, it's just hard for the other colors to compete, I think. Yeah. And I think 
my solution was to make it not an artifact. Just remove that one piece of synergistic property from it. And I think it's still fine. It's still playable. We've seen those cards before, but I just think it being an artifact pushes it over the top a little bit. I made it cost one and a blue. I, I like the fact that it's an artifact. I like the fact that it's synergistic and a body and all those other things. I just think, and and maybe you don't even need to change it if you nerf some other things. Sure. Like if, if, you know, all of a sudden if Waterwind Scout is a one, two and the most power it can have is a two, three flyer, then maybe Cogwork Rustler is fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next, we have Kaparakti Sunborn. This is two red white for a 4-4. And when it attacks, you can tap two other artifact or creatures you control or tap two untapped artifact or creatures you control. And if you do, you discover three. So I changed this to not discover because I am not not a discover fan. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted it to stay aggressive, but not be quite so snowball-y. That was one of the things I didn't like about this card was that it could just totally snowball out of hand. ever got to attack a second time, like you just, if you couldn't answer this the time it attacked, you were losing that game. You were losing that game. But also, too, because sometimes it could attack and your opponents could have double blocks and then the discoverer could make it to where they had a bad double block, like you hit a removal spell or you hit a combat trick. That's just or... like, yeah, but you're you're all wrapped <laughs> up in the variants of discover, which I don't think I think you need to get off that. I train. hate it so much. So I change this to when it attacks, tap two untapped creatures or artifacts to deal three damage to the opponent. And maybe it, maybe it needs to be two instead of three, but to where like you could reasonably expect to, in good faith, engage with this in combat. And maybe two is the answer instead of three. I was trying to decide between the two numbers. Yeah, three seems like like whew, that's se- seven coming at you. Three on seven coming at you, but then you could that's... you could chump four of it if you needed to. But more than anything, you're not falling behind on board. Like three three damage is way less oppressive than discovery, right? Like way less. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I like that change. Yeah, I, this was one. This was the true one. I had no no change for. I just couldn't couldn't come up with it because again, I d- didn't think this card was like super eg- egregious. But as we talked about, it could snowball pretty hard. Last card on this list is Master's Guide Mural. What's going on here? So this is three white blue for an artifact. When ETBs, you make a four four white and blue golem artifact creature token, and you can craft with artifact for four white white and a blue to get Master's Manufactory. Tap to make a 4-4, and you can activate that only if this or another artifact enter the battlefield under your control this turn. Just a small tweak. I attacked on an additional blue mana to its craft cost. So Ooh. Just like, you know, I don't mind that it gets a, a win con in the late game like this. That even does take a little bit of work. But I do think, then let's let's make you get really to that late game. Let's get you to, to eight mana instead. And let's make this truly not splashable. At all. It's white, white, blue, blue, four to craft. I had it make three threes instead of make four fours. But still a five, so a five mana three three? Five mana three three. And then maybe you could make shift its craft cost down to six or something. But I just think three threes are so much less. I also think like, isn't that what golems are usually? Like precursor golem or the golems from like Blade Splicer. Yeah. Keeps it, uh, keeps it in the family. I love these exercises. I love a separate list. What's the sort of like takeaway or, you know, this was a little bit of a fun exploration, but is there any sort of like strategic implications we can leave our listeners with or just thoughts about card evaluation or power evaluation? I think the River Herald Scout discussion is the most 
interesting one because if you're evaluating River Herald Scout using any like limited resources evaluation metric, it gets a great grade. Like if you put it on quadrant theory, it's good when you're developing. It's good when you're ahead. It's good. It's not great when you're behind. It's fine when you're at parity. It's getting a land off the top of your deck. Like it's a good magic card that somehow is bad because of how warped things got in the context of the format with evasive threats and aggression and low curves. And then also like the explore mechanic as a blue green deck, not quite working out. Like maybe if the blue green deck is better then all of a sudden river Herald scout is a card that you're interested in. But like that card falling flat to me is indicative of the things I don't like about the format. Like I, I want that to be a good magic card in the formats I'm playing. You know, as I don't quite know where I'm about to go with this, but hopefully I'll get to a point somewhere along the way. But, you know, there's so many, going back to the beginning of the episode, there's so many great things to be doing in Magic Online right now with Cube, with Kaladesh Remastered, Rivals of the Ixalan coming back, Khan's still on, LCI still on if you want it. Like, there's tons of Magic to be played. And if you're newer to the game, or even if you're not, if you just like didn't get a lot of reps in with something, you know, we're seeing a lot of deck techs, draft log reviews from people who are, you know, they've listened to the 50 takes and they want to dip their toe in a new format. And they're coming up short with cards, with decks, with game plans. They're not quite hitting the mark. And I think going, you really have to go back to like what we talk about with sealed, what we talk about with, you know, just intrinsic power level cards doing their things on their own is just so, so important. And like, it, it this doesn't quite line up with the River Herald Scout discussion because that, you know, you put that in the context of someone coming back to this set and being like, oh, this card looks great. And you're like, oh, actually, no, it's not great. Yes, you're right, but it's not great here. Like, it's a little tough. Like, there are some nuances from set to set. But I think just hammering home people, like, trusting card evaluation in the sense of, like, what is the raw rate for a thing? What's the vanilla test? What am I getting for it? Rather than I think people want to dive in and be like, oh, I got all these energy payoffs for Kalidesh. That's so cool. Or I got all these ways to make energy. And I'm like, where are you? Yeah, energy is a great resource. What are you doing with that? It can't just be to give your Riparian Tiger plus two, plus two for a turn. Like you got to be doing something with your nine energy at the end of the game. Otherwise, your deck is just, fizzling pretty hard right well that that just goes into learning formats i mean that's like a whole not like it's yeah hard that... to learn a format in the context of the format and the ins and the outs in which cards matter and so much of evaluating power is baked into which colors are good like in this instance like almost every you see that in the 17 lands data right like almost every blue card probably gets a bump like just because blues great in their in their win rate like this uh, rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing like that's certainly there going on but then also there's just like a a sense of in this format what feels good to me right like i know river herald scout is a good card but i don't feel great when i cast river herald scout in the format you know when yeah. my opponent goes one one flyer and then a turn three flyer and i think oh man, this card doesn't feel great. My opponent's cards look real good. Like just paying well, he, attention to how cards feel while you're playing the games is another great way to evaluate power level. Right. Well, and it's not only the evasive threats. One of the other reasons River Herald Scout fails is that like, you know, the dino decks get red two mana three threes that are attacking, you know, or, or uh, you know, uncommon two mana three twos or, uh, you know, just they get juiced 
power on the ground where that once you're left with this, either it's a two mana one, two that drew you a land. Don't care about that. Two mana two, three that didn't draw you anything that can't tussle either. Right? Like, so it's not just the evasion. It's just sort of the, the pushed power level of everything. Well, and one of the things we didn't touch on hardly at all was the Dino's deck. And I think they kind of nailed it with the Dino's deck, except the the blue-white stuff is a little too good. Like, I think if that were reined in a little bit, like the Dino's deck would be right at home. And it still is competing as people are, you know, going after the Jeskai colors a little bit more. It's just hard for like big, dumb, stompy stuff to be able to compete with double spelling tempo evasive threats right like that's that's usually the case in limited like it's been a while since i mean i guess for actually all be one red green was the best deck but like it's it's rare that red green beats is the best deck in limited all right that was a lot i don't know how helpful it was for listeners but it sure was fun for me yeah that was fun i you know we k- kicking off the new year we're sort of in a lull we'll, we'll be back next week with 50 takes and wait did i just see when you stretched a that's how you do it pullover after you canceled the Survivor podcast on me? Wow, just the savage rubbins. I missed that podcast already, and the next season of Survivor is not even out yet. Sorry for you, I'll be taking your podcast. <laughs> and on that note, for the hundred people that get that reference, <laughs> great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there, And we really encourage you to head on over there for any and all purchases. Please use checkout code LOL when you do to let them know we sent you over there. And more importantly, to get 5% off anything you purchase. You can find all of our content on our website at lordsoflimited.com. Links to our merch, courtesy of TeePublic. Link to our episode backlogs. Links to our Twitch channels, our YouTube channel, which is popping off, of course. And uh, links to our tier lists. All that good stuff over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. See you later.